Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Everybody, thanks for joining us again for another episode of Church and State with David and myself. Today is episode 35. We're talking about child vaccines or vaccines in general. Um, public school porn. Yes, you heard that right. Public school porn and clergy united. Um, we're going to break it up. We're going to talk a little bit about public schools. We'll start with that first. And since David, you're the teacher in the family, why don't you start us off with what's going on with this public school porn? Yeah, there's a lot going on this past week that uh, I thought we should we should cover or talk about because I don't think the the media is necessarily covering some of this, and I I, I know that uh, in a lot of ways we're trying to highlight some things that maybe are off the radar for some people. But um, I, I've just been disturbed to see what was happening down in North Kingston. Um, if you know who Nicole Solis is, she's the one that kind of made me aware of it. And uh, Nicole Solis is, uh, she's, this woman is like a warrior. She is a mama bear you don't want to anchor. Seriously, if there was ever a mama bear, yeah. really. Her picture is like in the dictionary for it. Yeah. I am, she's like my hero. When I met her in person, she's teeny tiny. Uh, but you would have no idea that she is a giant. Like she is fierce. She mm -hmm. is very intelligent. Um, and she's got a good eye. So if you don't know who Nicole Solis is, she's in national, you know, national media now, a lot of attention going to her because she just showed up at her school um, and wanted to make sure that her kindergartner uh, was not going to be exposed to a lot of CRT and critical race theory stuff. So uh, she just started requesting information about the curriculum. And they kept stonewalling her and she started requesting more and more and they kept saying no, 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 or just, you know, they wanted to start charging her and things got pretty wild. Uh, lawyers got involved, lawsuits started happening. Um, and that's kind of when she rose to public prominence. But it seems like uh, the kind of work she's doing is peeling the layers of a rotten onion because it just seems like the more she digs, the more, you know, gross things she's finding Ugh. i think crt was really just the tip of the iceberg for sure um and uh she um uh she, she pointed this out if we first just talk about the crt thing because i i really 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 appreciate the work she's doing but um i know she's been painted as a radicalist or a domestic terrorist or uh you know white supremacist or in, in league with them that is such a ridiculous claim she really is just a mother who's who wants to make sure that her kids are not going to be taught some, um, you know, wild nonsense. And um, when she talked about CRT, she said it's not like there's going to be a critical race theory class. That's it's never that simple. It's never that easy. Uh, and I like how she she explained it. Once she said, "Imagine if you heard from your public school, we don't teach religion. We just teach kids how to pray." confess, worship, and view everything through a spiritual lens. But there's no religion course in our curriculum. So there it is, right? No religion course. No. And that is exactly what we're seeing with critical race theory. It's the same thing. It's it's not that there's a CRT class, but you're seeing in history and in the, in the, the language arts, the English classes, the literature choices... Uh, is, in, is is imbued with some of this stuff. It, it's it, it, the teachers who may be leaning towards this are starting to uh, allow it to creep into the curriculum, the reading, the lesson plans, the 
class discussions. So, um, uh, so I really appreciate the work she's doing. But one thing that she highlighted, one thing she pointed out was this really, really graphic novel, or um, uh, it, it is a, <laughs> it's a literal graphic novel that is graphic. So it's, uh, it's like a comic book. Um, and it's found at the North Kingston High School, really, really disgusting stuff. Um, because it's a graphic novel, it's not just, you know, words on a page, but it's, it's, it's depicting it. The pictures depicting sexual acts, very, very sexual acts. Um, you know, it, it talks about everything from masturbation, but it's got full nudity in there, full sex, f full sex acts. And, um, I, I, I shared this with her and I, I think it absolutely should be illegal. I mean, this is in a, in the North Kingston high school, uh, and it's prominently being displayed. I think it's on a bookcase, like around yeah. the library or something, but mm -hmm. it's being highlighted as a book that uh, students should be reading and checking out. And it's just, um, it just seems unconscionable. Like it, it, if it's not illegal, which I think it is, it's certainly immoral. And why it's being highlighted as a book that kids should be reading um, is just beyond me. So again, Nicole Solis, um, kudos to her. Keep up the work. Keep digging. Um, and whoever's helping her, I know that there are, there are other people working behind the scenes and helping her. I think that's awesome because, um, she's becoming a hero, not just to our state, but really to the, to yeah. the country. Yeah. Uh, and so it's awesome to see her being talked about. There's and, a, yeah. Um, there's someone else that I thought we should highlight. Um, and it's someone, you know, Jess, uh, Erica oh, I, don't, Sanzi? I don't know her. I've, okay. I've spoken to her, but I don't know her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, well, tell us about Erica, because she kind of reminds me of Nicole Solis in the sense that they both really care about education. Nicole maybe is is kind of laser focused on the CRT thing and the curriculum and what's being taught. Um, uh, and by the way, if you're not following Nicole on Twitter, if you are on Twitter, jump on there and make sure you're following her. She's got quite the following, uh, 17,000 people or so. Mm. But uh, tell us about Erica Sanzi. Yeah, you should follow her as well. She um, is really about educational freedom and protecting children against the against exploitation. Um, there's a law that I've been trying to get passed, and it, truth be told, it was introduced in the House before I even uh, became a senator, but no one had sponsored it in the House, and I thought it was a really good bill, so I submitted it. Because currently in Rhode Island, um, if you are between the ages of 16 and 18, you are within the law, you are permitted to consent to uh, having sex with any like teacher or school employee. So like janitor, coach, whatever. Wow. Um, and if you are between the ages of 14 and 16, um, the law doesn't allow for sexual penetration, like for, pen for penetration, but it allows for, um, I Petting guess for, and, yeah, for, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so the, the piece of legislation that I submitted was that mirroring of the house to make it illegal. Like why isn't that already illegal and who in their world, who in their mind is opposing that? Um, the ACLU and the teachers union. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just biting my tongue because I get so angry when I hear these kind of things like the ACLU. You know, they they there used are to fights. be a very re well-respected uh, organization. Yeah, there are fights to pick, and that should not be one of them. Uh, same thing for the teacher unions. Like, you mean what are fight you against it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And what's the teacher union doing, you know, defending teachers who are engaging in sexual acts with so students? One of the um, 
one of their arguments were, well, why not, why not every aspect, like every, um, uh, profession, why mm -hmm. just education? Well, you know, first of all, it shouldn't happen anywhere, but we're talking about schools and they're compulsory. Mm -hmm. You don't have to take a job at Cumberland Farms, right, as a kid or a McDonald's, but you have to, by law, go to school. Yeah. And you're in that building for at least six hours right. with these people who you trust. And I'm not saying that, I mean, I, I don't think ill of teachers or poorly of teachers that sure. this would happen. However, you know, it's something that we need to be careful because right. when we look at statistics, Boy Scouts, the the Catholic Church, they don't have nearly as high rates of of um, abuse. Interesting. As educate educators do. You're saying uh, in general, like sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, is higher in public schools. That with, that is what I teachers. read. Now, yeah, I just so I I just can't believe that there's anybody out there that would think that this legislation is a bad piece of legislation. Yeah. It's like a layup. It should be an easy <laughs> an easy one. Yeah, I just feel sometimes I really wonder, you know, why is it that uh, I feel like we we constantly have to defend our kids and protect our kids. It's when I hear things like that, that just, you know, I find so, so upsetting. It is. Um, all right. Maybe, uh, maybe we could uh, shift over and just talk about while we're talking about kids, uh, talk about the, the, uh, vaccines and, um, you know, whether or not you think it's going to be something implemented with, uh, with children. Um, I can remember when I was at a school committee meeting a couple of weeks ago, I was already, hearing some of the principals uh, talk about COVID being spread among the student population, not necessarily in the classrooms, but they highlighted the buses seem to be crowded and that's where kids are probably being exposed to it. Mm -hmm. But I was um, uh, surprised to hear one of the the uh, principal, actually two of them were standing side by side and they, they both um, agreed that mm -hmm. they wish the governor would allow them to vaccinate kids. Mm -hmm. And immediately the, the room kind of like, looked around and realized what was happening, but they were suggesting that, that children should be vaccinated, even though they're not an at risk, uh, population, right? Not, I mean, yeah. I, I'm no doctor, but when I look at the data and look at the stats and hear about those that are most at risk, it's, uh, it's the older, uh, people with uh, preexisting conditions like mm -hmm. obesity and, and heart issues. Um, they're the ones that really should be concerned, but young children don't seem to be affected by this nearly as severely. Of course, there there are the outliers, but it's um, it's a population that's rarely affected. Yet there seems to be this shift towards vaccination, vaccinating kids, or at least there's talk about it. I think we've already seen that California has uh, made that a matter of policy. But uh, tell us about what what you've been working on uh, to kind of counter some of these moves. Well, this was a piece of legislation that I had submitted. Um, actually, I was a co-sponsor with Senator Metz's legislation, um, a Democrat. And I just say that because some people realize it's not just Republicans. It's a bipartisan thing. Um, yeah. So as you were saying, um, the information is out there. And Dr. Boston, he's a uh, well-respected. Um, From Brown University. Yeah. Yep. And he's he mentioned that uh, as he's looking through the data and he looks at, at it monthly, there have been zero pediatric deaths. Mm. And so in Rhode Island, in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, when we're making these decisions, we need to obviously base them on data. And I've always, you know, I, 
I worked at Brown for a very short time and I remember getting calls from parents from around the country that would be sending their kids and they were asking about religious exemptions. And that's when I really learned a lot about um, what Rhode Island offered for exemptions. There was medical and religious. And mm. so these religious exemptions were for, you know, deeply held religious convictions. And it's not me, it's not my job to assess whether or not they're sincere or not. So that's how I learned about them. And I'm a big proponent of freedom. And if you don't feel like you should be taking the vaccine for whatever reason, you know, I support that decision. So when this piece of legislation was brought to my attention by Senator Matz, I was like, this is a great piece of, of legislation. And essentially what, so what the title of the legislation is the Rhode Island Informed Consent Protection Act. And it would require a health professional to provide um, informed consent um, to the parent if they have a minor child. I see. So if, uh, if uh, a, a healthcare worker, nurse, doctor couldn't just vaccinate a child, but there had to be consent right. from the, the, the parents. Yeah. Okay. And so the part that got me really interested about this was that providers can't discriminate against individuals who refuse or even delay vaccinations. Cause there's some people that I suspect may say, Oh, we just want to like delay it for a little bit. So you can't discriminate, um, against an individual for that. And if you do, there would be uh, fines, for uh, upwards of twenty, up to $25,000 for violations. I wonder, has that been an issue where healthcare providers have said, nope, we're not going to see your kids because they're not vaccinated? Or yeah, we're... for sure. Wow. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Interesting. Yep. People, they're, they're pediatricians that won't see you if you're, if you refuse or if okay. you delay vaccination. So this would ensure that these children would still get other medical care and, and mm -hmm. healthcare. Exactly. Interesting. It's so, uh, it reminds me of the universal healthcare argument. It's like, I'm not necessarily a proponent to universal healthcare, but it seems to be universal healthcare, unless, um, you're not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. seems to be the, um, exactly the position of some. It would also, it would take it a step further and it would prohibit DCYF, DCYF for, um, in, in mass it's DCF, but in Rhode Island it's called DCYF, the department of children, youth and families from investigating a parent or a guardian for failure to vaccinate. Mm. So, you know, you can have DCYF knock on your door and say, Hey, you know, you're a bad parent cause you're not vaccinating. Huh. Um, so again, there's no discrimination, there's the fines and there's the DCYF, um, pr uh, aspect of it. Right? Yeah. yeah that, that's all really good. I, I think, um, there should, again, I, I feel like there should be pretty broad support. I would imagine that the pediatricians out there might not be big supporters mm -hmm. of it, especially if they're going to be the ones dealing with, uh, maybe they're the ones that have been discriminating against some of these families and, yeah. and they wouldn't want to see the status quo change. Right. So also really quickly, um, you can't harass or coerce or threaten, um, a parent or, um, you know, an 18 year old, I'll still call them a child cause they're still kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, insurers, um, can't deny coverage mm. for families, uh, employers. This one is really important. Empl no employer shall deny employment terminate employment or otherwise discriminate against an individual based on the individual's choice to delay or decline vaccination. Wow. So if this bill were implemented in, into law, that would more or less protect all of these uh, healthcare workers, firefighters, and yeah. others that are being yeah. let go because they've declined a, uh, a vaccine. And then on top of the insurer not discriminating against the individual, the insurer would not be able to dis discriminate against the practitioner or the healthcare facility. Uh, by decreasing like their reimbursement rates or like 
impose financial uh, penalties. And um, another one that I thought was really great, another point in the bill was that the practitioners would not be able to accept monetary payments or bonuses as incentives um, from the insurance company or pharmaceutical companies for patient vaccination, Hmm. which um, currently happens now. Okay. So the more you vaccinate, the more financial incentives there are. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So is that what is that um, why you think we're seeing this push for like one hundred percent vaccination? I couldn't say. I don't know. I mean, I I would hope that because from a health policy point of view, I keep hearing that herd immunity is usually cap usually met around seventy percent. Yeah. And um, you know, in Rhode Island's healthcare facilities, we're now at like ninety six percent or something. Maybe now it's a hundred percent now that so many people have been let go, but. Um, yeah. You would think that would be enough to, to kind of relax things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But back to the bill because okay. I, I want to finish up so we can yes, finish our yes. podcast. Is um, the practitioners um, w- cannot require a patient um, or the guardian of the patient to sign a liability waiver um, to as a condition to receive medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it for my notes. So. Okay. Well, what do you think of the chances of that getting passed? Uh, you guys would uh, submit it in January. Yeah. I'm going to submit it in January again. Uh, since Senator Metz is no longer uh, serving as a Senator in the Senate. Um, and maybe can... you could still get some uh, bipartisan support for it. I oh, mean, not yeah. maybe it would have to be in order for it to pass. Oh, I, that's always my goal. Mm. I always want bipartisan support. Okay. I'm not saying that's always possible, but that's always my goal. And um, this is one of those pieces of legislation that I'll be sending out an email blast to and letting people know when is it going to be heard? Well, first, when is it submitted? When is it going to be heard? Um, how to sign up and testify in favor of this bill? Mm. And um, and then just keep them informed throughout the process. Like how how do we get this passed? We're going to need to to email you know um, your reps and senators right. and the what what we've really been talking about for the past thirty five weeks how how to be effective. Right, that's exciting. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, and so let's go back to our third topic, which is Clergy United. Right, kind of just I don't want to say morphed, but it. it just yeah. came together this past week. Yeah, it just came together uh, about a little over a week ago now okay. where I, I had been hearing from a lot of other pastors and people in churches, uh, churches that I'm familiar with, really begging and and looking for an opportunity, looking for some way for pastors to do something. And of course, they were doing their best to contact lawmakers like yourself and see what you could do on the political side. Mm-hmm. But um you know, as we got closer to the October 1st deadline uh, that the governor had put into place for uh, everyone to be vaccinated, we um, we were dealing with, on a daily basis, the pressure uh, that was coming with that uh, coercion, with the, uh, the pressure to be vaccinated. And many of these uh, individuals were just, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. They were... Um, very firm in their convictions, wow. had very strong conscientious and religious uh, reasons uh, as, as to why they wanted to uh, uh, to be exempt from the, the vaccine mandate. But it all fell on deaf ears. And as they were looking at being unemployed or dismissed, they, um, you know, they, they needed prayer, they needed counsel, they needed support. 
And as pastors, we we really felt the brunt of that. It felt very disappointing to see that the the governor seemed to be uh, you know deaf to some of their their pleas. I'd heard that he agreed to meet with some of them and some of their representatives, um, and the, those meetings never took place. Um, in the meantime, we're meeting with these people, but we really felt like our hands were tied. So, long story short, over the last uh, few weeks, several of us started banding together, um, and uh, a letter was drafted. Um, and uh, ultimately, the first draft that was submitted to the governor a week ago had 34 signatures to it, pastors across the state, different denominations, um, different ethnicities, just a very, very diverse uh, group of pastors. Many of us we've never even met before. We've never talked. We've never prayed together. But uh, we felt strongly that the the mandate um, was a uh, an erosion of religious liberty. And over this week, we've gathered more pastors. We've doubled it. We now have over 70, I think about 72 pastors have agreed to put their uh, names to this letter. And for me, putting my name on that letter felt like signing the Declaration of Independence. It felt like a public, obviously very public act, going to the governor and making it clear that we were opposed to his mandates. We love him. We're praying for him. We want you know him to be successful and be a good governor. But this was a disastrous policy, not just for the effect that it had on these individuals, because when you take away someone's livelihood, you take away their life. You really are taking away their hopes, their dreams, their career. Many of them are, are wondering what they're going to do now. Some are moving to Massachusetts or to Florida or Texas, mm -hmm. um, to states that will you know honor and respect some of these convictions. But um, you know, even beyond the immediate people that have been let go, we're we're seeing the um, the healthcare shortage really develop into a healthcare crisis. And um, I've been hearing from people that have been to the ER just this past week. You know, one mom, she's got a, a, a newborn baby. The baby fell, hit its head. And when they went into the ER, it went into Hasbro. She said, I felt like a, a third world nation. The, uh, the, the lines were all over the place. Uh, they, they were... Um, uh, short on supplies. There were staffing shortages. They said it would take at least two hours to be seen. Um, and and that's just one family. Um, I'm hearing the same thing from others. So I'm really grateful to all these pastors who have joined together and signed our letter. Um, if, um, if you're interested, if you have a pastor uh, who's interested in signing it, um, you can, um, in fact, we'll put the the link to the uh, to the page to the uh, uh, to the full letter, but I'll just read just to give you a, a sense for what we're saying. I'll read the opening paragraph, uh, and it just says to Governor McKee and our elected officials regarding the vaccine mandate for our medical professionals. We, the pastors and spiritual leaders of our congregations and community leaders, are writing this letter to register our profound disagreement with this administration in their handling of religious liberties and constitutional freedoms throughout this pandemic. We wholeheartedly believe that members of our churches and citizens in our communities who serve through the worst of the pandemic as, quote, essential workers, unquote, should not now be discarded by the very institutions they upheld with their tireless efforts simply because they have religious, rational, and reasonable objections to a vaccine surrounded by conflicting professional opinions and uncertainties. So this letter was submitted a week ago. Unfortunately, we have not heard a peep from the governor's office, and that uh, really angered some of the pastors in our 
network. But um, we submitted it again today with 72 letters. And again, we're asking for him to reverse course. Yeah. yeah, 72 names. And we're asking him to reverse course on that. If you're interested in seeing the full list, um, you can visit my wife's website. Thank you, Jessica, for hosting <laughs> this for us. I know you had nothing to do with the letter. You didn't write it. I did not. No. Uh, you didn't read it. I just hosted it. it. You no. just hosted it. And I thank you for giving us a platform for, uh, for getting this out there. Um, so if you want to read the full thing, check out Jessica's website. It's uh, jessica4ri.com. Uh, and then just click on Clergy United in the menu. You can read the letter there and uh, any pastor, any faith leader. So, I mean, at this point, it's not just Protestant pastors, which I, is the bulk of it, but we, we do have Catholic priests on there, mm -hmm. which is uh, unusual because the, the, some of them are breaking with uh, what the Pope has said. You know, the Pope has said, go for it, do it. Yeah. But some of them, um, you know, of course they respect the Pope and then I don't think they're trying to be contradictory to him, but they are strongly opposed to the mandate. When I speak to these clergy over and over again, that's what their concern is. Yeah. They are opposed to the mandate. They don't like the coercion. They don't like the effect it's having on the the mental health and the emotional well-being of their, their congregants. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, and that's why, you know, they, they signed on. And so it's not Protestants and just even Catholics, but we've even had Jewish rabbis yeah. sign on. So it's interesting to see that this is becoming like an interfaith, um, you know, religious effort. And that so, says something. It does. Mm -hmm. It does. You know, again, when I speak to them and, uh, and I get to hear their stories, they are facing the same things I'm facing. They have nurses and healthcare workers in their hospital, in their, in their You're telling me that you had, places you're consoling people that are crying on the phone. Like they don't know what to do there. Oh, They're I mean, distraught. yeah, usually I, um, I can keep it together, but the last couple of weeks were very emotional weeks, uh, for me and many, many other faith leaders, because you, uh, you talk to them on the phone or you get the update from them that they were denied their religious exemption. Um, or they walk into church, walk into a prayer meeting and they just found out that they've been let go, man, that's heartbreaking. And, uh, and that's why as faith leaders, even when I talk to some of them, you know, they, they're like, listen, I've been vaccinated. I'm, I have nothing against the vaccine. Mm -hmm. yeah. What they are opposed to is the heavy handed mandate. Yeah. And the way that these people were just unceremoniously let go, mm -hmm. dismissed when they were heroes, um, you know, for the last 18 months, now suddenly they've just been let go. So, and to be clear, the, our church doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't have a stance on vaccines. Like take it, don't take it. Right. It's like you pray about it. Right. And then whatever you feel, your make a, make a decision based on how you feel. Right. Um, you should perceive. That's an important point because I think sometimes when people hear about our, uh, hear about the religious um, objections or concerns, they keep talking about the Pope or they keep saying, oh, no denomination has really come out against it. Only, you know, two or three uh, denominations. But these are matters of faith. And when I stand before God, I, it's not my pastor that stands before me. It's not my denomination that stands before me. It's it's me. I'm the one standing for God before God. I am giving testimony to my conscience, my conviction, and and what I believe. And um, and anytime someone you know talks to me and and is asking for counsel on this, I ask them, "What do you believe? What is your spirit telling you? What is what's what's in your heart?" And uh, some have you know very strong religious reasons. Others are citing 
just that they don't like the coercive um, turn that the vaccine mandate has mm -hmm. has taken, and that in itself has turned off a lot of these people. Yeah. They they are not anti-vaccine at all. Many of them have gotten other vaccines, but this one just feels like it is tainted with um, with uh, with a level of control and dismissiveness that they find very alarming. And I join with them in that concern. Yeah, well, it is a valid concern because you never want to be coerced into anything. And um, it, I, I just want people to to understand that mm -hmm. it's a very personal decision. It's a personal decision. It's a matter decision. of conscience. Yes. And so for one individual, it, because we'll say, where does this say in the Bible? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about vaccines. So um, that's something that you just, as you said, you right. tell people, what right. do you feel? What does your conscience tell you? Well, we've talked about Roger Williams many times. Yes. He, it was not a denomination that spoke for him. He was one man, just one man who had a... A, an opinion of God and worship and prayer that nobody told, else had. Nobody had. I just yelled was, into this thing. <laughs> he was completely unique in that. And yeah. that's what our position is. If there's one person in our entire state that has a religious objection to this vaccine, even if it's different from our position, that, that decision should be respected and it should be honored. Yeah. And that's our position. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today for our 35th episode of Church and State. Have a great weekend. Today's closing quote comes from an anonymous individual right here in Rhode Island. He wrote to me and said, hi, my name is, and I'm a Cuban American who works at, I've always enjoyed being part of the team, but I face a problem which goes against everything I believe in, which is this mandate. I believe in freedom of choice, which is why my Cuban side of the family risk their lives to come to this country to live in happiness and not fear. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com. 